Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen Taylor and today I'm here with Carrie caulfield Arik. How are you today? I'm great, Jen. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> we always pre-game for a couple minutes basically so I can brace you for me. And uh, so we're already laughing and that's a good way to start out laughing. <laughs> Tell me about your business. It is, I'm going to put everything in the show notes so people can have, have no problem getting in touch with you, but it's called, is it yayapodcasting.com? Yes, it is yayapodcasting.com. It is so fun. So just jump in and tell me what you do for people. So I help people produce podcasts and I help them keep podcasting with editing, production, copywriting, and coaching services for busy podcasters. It is busy. I mean, clearly this is my <laughs> podcast that you're on. It's... it's um. It's harder than you think it's going to be to set it up, like all the things, you know, that you have to do, but it's actually, but it's okay. It's Yeah, well, everybody I've ever talked to has said podcasting is very transformative work. It's very personal work, and I try to help people um, keep creating that content and, and in, embrace that transformation and step into their leadership without crying over all the things that they have to do. <laughs> it's kind of like any other business, right? Except a lot of podcasts you're doing, it's a labor of love. It's not something I've never made a dime off my podcast. I would love to make money. And I know you have a monetizing section on your website because I've been cyber stalking you. <laughs> but we, at least in the beginning, most of us start it because we are passionate about getting something out and some sort of content, whatever our platform is. And um, it, it is a labor of love. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a few uh, corporate clients, so they are using it like as a marketing funnel and do have advertisers. But for the most part, the people I work with, this is a passion project. They just yeah. have a message to share. And, and I, I really love supporting that. Well, I love you do editing and coaching. And then you said copywriting. Is that to, for the copy, like the show note copy? Yeah, so that would be for the show notes, um, anything that you would use for marketing, for repurposing content, so like creating additional blog blog posts from your podcast, mm -hmm. any kind of writing, I mean, email, mar oh, let me say that again, marketing emails, things like that. So anytime you have to write something, not everybody is a great writer, so having that copywriting support can be really helpful. No kidding. That's, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you expanded it because in my mind I was thinking show notes, but blog posts, that's, that's fantastic. And also you have this amazing course. It's called Launch Your Podcast and it's only $197 and you do basically, you're teaching me how to do all of the things so that my learning curve, so super affordable and oh, yeah. helps and it, me to do my own thing. Is that what it is? Yeah. So basically it's a 
DIY kind of thing. It's what I use for my one-on-one clients that I would, you know, that charge $2,000 to launch their podcast. And I took all of the things I use for those people and then put it into this course so that, you know, it is affordable, it's doable, you've got all the worksheets and everything that, you know, I would typically charge you a lot of money to do, but then you have access to it at an affordable price. And it's just, I just wanted to be able to reach more people and help them really build, because my, unlike a lot of other courses, my course really focuses on building a solid foundation that you can rely on when things get tough. And so you're very clear about what you're doing. So I just, I, you know, I just felt like I had to share that with like more people. You also do a learn to edit course. I think that's probably, from my perspective, that's the part of podcasting that people have. I mean, there's doing all the things like what do you need and which microphones because you're inundated when you're becoming a Google master with all (laughs) of this, just like which microphone, like which is the best and how do I launch it? What do I do? And all the places to sign up and how to do that. And then, but I think once you get past the initial launching your podcast and understanding kind of how it works from the back end perspective and how to do the things, the editing, I think ongoing is the toughest for people. Do you find that to be the case also? Yes. I yeah. think there are two, there are two things that I hear your podcasters complain about the most. One is editing and the other is the marketing piece of oh my creating God. a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and those are the two things that typically take the most time as well. So obviously I'm not necessarily a marketer, but I do know how to edit. And so the learn to edit course is called beyond the edit. And actually it isn't launching until October, until mid-October. Mid-October 2019? Yeah, 2019, after she podcasts live because, well, I'm going to be busy up until then, so I can't start any sooner. But but yeah, I'm really excited about that because I work with female editors as well. um, I could run a Facebook group for female podcast editors. And that's anybody. That was next, yeah. Just Busters. Yes, that was my next thing. Yeah, keep going. It's called Just Busters, like you said, and it is for anybody who is female or identifies as female and edits a podcast, whether it's for themselves or for other people. And it is a safe space to ask really technical questions to really, you don't have to be afraid that you don't know something or embarrassed about anything. Nobody's going to like talk down to you or mansplain to you, which is why we created the group because me and a few other professional editors, we hang out with all the guys and and for the most part they're great but when we ask a specific technical question yeah. <laughs> in a co-ed group right <laughs> if you're a woman you can imagine what happens so exactly we, yeah we got together and said we're just we're doing it we're making this group for women and it's actually been a really wonderful experience so and I hold weekly or not weekly but monthly webinars like office hours where you can come in you can ask any kind of question you want just about really anything podcast editing related new and kind of podcast related Um, you can also ask questions anonymously you don't have to be there to get the answer it's really really great I love it. And that's how I found you by, by connecting in an all women's podcasting networking group, which I mean, we, we should be supporting people, each other and helping people. And there's never a stupid question because if you don't know the answer, 
then it's a very smart question to ask. So I, I don't like it when people get caught up on that. I love that you're letting people ask any question about anything. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, and I love, cause we were all new ones, right? Yes. Yeah. I oh my gosh. Everything. <laughs> I smile when I see people post about anything that I've done for a while and they're brand new. Like I'd like to launch a podcast in the next six months, but I'm feeling these things and I'm like, Oh sister, high five me. We've all, we've all been in that seat. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's no big deal at all. Let's go back in time. You can take me back to whenever you want to start, but we're going to talk about the struggle because I love the, I mean, I love the struggle and the who, what, when, where, how you get through it and are getting through it and what tips and tricks you have to give us. But I also love connecting it back to your why, which is your business. So take me back. Let's talk about what's been happening in your past. Well, gee, how far back exactly. <laughs> to go, really, right? Because <laughs> it can go way back, like childhood. I grew up, um, my father was older. My mother was an immigrant from Denmark. And my sisters were her children from a former marriage in Denmark. And I was born about 10 years later than everybody else. So <laughs> it was a happy accident, as they call it. Um, and I was my father's, I'm my father's only child. So, you know, not only is it hard to like being kind of a blended family, but when that blended family is from another country, like that just adds in a whole other layer of complexity. But there's this like, so my mother's always had this thing where um, she is very protective of my sister's. And she, you know, very nurturing and loving of them. But, you know, since she had a tumultuous relationship with her father, we kind of had a tumultuous relationship because I'm his daughter and I am so much like him. It's not even funny. Oh, no. The poor woman. And I feel really, you know, looking back as an adult, I feel really bad. and, And as a, you know, someone who's you know, brought a child into a new marriage, which we can talk about later, but um, I get it. I get what my father was going through because now I have my husband's perspective. I get what my mother was going through because that is really difficult. And then on top of this, she had to come from a new country. Anyway, so kind of dysfunctional family. And so I was always kind of fighting for my voice, like... And I was always like kind of a chatty person (laughs) anyway, which you're about to find out. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I was constantly drowned out by my older sisters. And, you know, I think of them as like my teenage sisters because I was so young, you know, and it was hard to compete. But I was also very good at like playing by myself and using my imagination and, you know, those kinds of things, which I think kind of... I took with me. I'm still very imaginative and curious and, you know, annoyingly chatty, according to my son, and constantly asking why, like I did back then. But it took me a very long time to be comfortable with that because growing up, it felt like, you know, those were like negative qualities because I was, I guess, competing for attention with my sisters and they didn't want me to do that. So <laughs> it must have been hard just being your dad's only child too, because that's a different dynamic also. It, it really, it really was. I think 
you know, my mother was going through a lot of stuff. She was a survivor of domestic violence. Um, and I don't know if she married my dad from, you know, for maybe escape or security or what, but, and I can't, you know, honestly, I can't speak to that really, but, um, yeah, so their relationship was, was very, they, and they still have arguments, but like they had horrible arguments when I was a kid and I was very often kind of the pawn, my mother's pawn in that. And I think because, you know, my father was so, he's, you know, great father. I would say my dad probably is kind of autistic, <laughs> which is he's very brilliant, but socially very dumb. So I would end up in the middle. And I think that my, you know, my mother used me emotionally against my father. And that made like things really difficult. I think it made me a diplomat though. I can tell. <laughs> well, that's a good skill. Yeah. Well, what else are you going to do? You, you, you know, if you're, I guess I figured if I'm going to be part of the argument, I'm going to be part of the argument. Like <laughs> I'm going to put everybody in their corners. So, uh, which translate translates very good into customer service skills. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. It does. So you, you grew up in the house and then what happened towards moving out and graduating and stuff like that? So as I got older, my parents kind of chilled out. My sisters moved out of the house, had their own lives. I guess like there was a lot of pressure off. It was just me as a teenager. as pretty self-sufficient, you know, but, you know, being the fourth child, like my, my mother had been through it all. So she was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> You know, you know, as long as I know where you are, you're good. You're, you know, going to school, good, you know. And uh, I uh, kind of hung around home until I was like 20-something. And then my parents decided, you know, my dad was going to retire. My parents decided to move. And they were like, we're going to move, but you're not coming with us. So. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't even give me their address. I mean, there was like no choice. It was so funny that they were just like, okay, here's the, here's the moving date. <laughs> You've got a few months. Go do something. I so, mean, as a parent yourself, do you, com do you kind of... Uh, oh, I completely get it. Yeah, like, okay, okay. I think okay. it's funny. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. But, you know, but in the same respect, you know, again, this goes back to my mother, like really taking care of my three sisters. Um they all got to like leave the house and come back and take their time. And they got their first year out of the house paid for. They got a car. I got none of that. It was bye. <laughs> That's what I got. Usually it's I the got, opposite. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess they figured, you know, that, you know, I, I don't even know that maybe moving's expensive and I'd be okay. <laughs> so. And I was, I was, I got a job as a live-in nanny and, uh, you know, off I went out into the big wide world. Um, so a few years later I met my first husband who was probably a mistake. I, you know, I would want, I would say that except for I had my son with him. And so I don't want to like, you know, I love my son to pieces, um, but my first husband was abusive, and I left him in October, so we're coming up on the anniversary, on Halloween, when I was six months pregnant. Wow. Yes. Okay, so how did, 
when you say he was abusive, was it physical? Oh yeah. Physical, mental, financial. It was, you know, he ticked all the boxes. Well, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. Right. right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, that, that's the one compliment I can give him. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home. Right. So right? was he surprised that you have to have help getting out of the situation? I absolutely did have to have help getting out of the situation. And my sisters came down. I called my sister. She came down that day from, I think it was like a two or three hour drive, came with a friend, some friends in a van and moved me out of my apartment. Like that day, I was in her house that evening. That's, um, well, okay. So the siblings that you weren't all that close to, you could call them at least. Right, right. And you know, that's the one thing I can say about my sisters is whenever any of us have had something catastrophic happened, you know, shit hits a fan. Yeah. They, you know, regardless of how we feel about each other, even if we're fighting, no matter what, you know, we can rally like that. That's bond is still there. You know, I don't have to like you, but I love you. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, that is not the truth. That's awesome that you have them like that. That's really incredible. So she came down and like a baller and moved you out. Oh yeah. It was crazy. And they even, so they, they even called the cops, got the cops there and smuggle the cops helped them smuggle my cats out in blankets. So my ex wouldn't see and we could take the cats safely. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was quite impressive. So, um, and that I think I ended up living with my sisters. Uh, yeah, I had I guess I had all three of them there at that time um, for a couple of years while I had my son. You know, I and boy, that was a hard time because you know I'm I'm uh, processing and recovering and healing from that horrible relationship. In the meantime, my ex-husband like did not leave me alone for years. I mean, he, and not just did not leave me alone, but he would call like thousands of times a day and, and he would call my family. So it was like, so I like couldn't get that space for a very long time. And, you know, mind you, I'm pregnant and then I just have a baby and then I'm, you know, in my, you know, I'm not supporting myself. I'm living in my sister's house. I'm trying to like make a future and then he's still bothering and it was a very difficult time. Um, and then every once in a while he threatened to kill me. <laughs> so oh. I would have the cops show up and say, your life is in danger. And so, yeah, so that was a, I mean, that was a very difficult time. I, it almost feels like now it almost feels like it happened to somebody else just because it's been so long. But uh, it, it really taught me what survival was and, and how much I could actually like cope with in terms of, because, you know, because you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? But then when you get through it, you're like, Wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. So it gives you a little bit more confidence for the next problem that comes up, I think. And and he specifically was a problem for a very, very, very long time. What and about with your son? 
Did he have any? He had no contact, no okay. contact. And, you know, mind you, I had friends who were divorced. They had children. Their ex-husbands would come and take their kids for the weekend, and they got to live like adults. <laughs> and I was actually really disappointed because, oh, my God, <laughs> like I would have loved to do that. Instead, I have my son, you know, from the time he was a baby, he was, he was always different. Turns out he was autistic. I couldn't, like when he was an infant, you couldn't put him down. He needed to have that constant pressure on his body or he'd scream. He didn't sleep like other babies did. And mind you, I have lots of nieces and nephews that came before that I'm like, okay, this is not what they did at all. And I was exhausted. And, you know, I kind of forget where I was going, but I guess my... My point may be that like it was it was really tough, and he you know my ex husband kept you know messing with every time there felt like there was stability, he was like slipping you know pulling the rug out from under us and and to think about how I got through that is like crazy <laughs> but you and the the biggest thing is you never had help you never had support you never had a co-parent thank god right, you had right, your yes. sisters yes you never oh. you never got a break and then you find it when did you find out he was autistic and when did your ex finally stop harassing well, <laughs> well here's a fun fact my ex has never really stopped now it's gotten less over the years and you know it, it always had a lot to do with cause my ex is you know bipolar um, apparently and is on social security disability. And so every time my ex thinks he can get some money, I guess, and this is my theory. I can't, you know, I don't, don't quote me on this. You'd have to ask him, but you know, please don't. Um, <laughs> he actually uh, every now and again tries to like get a hold of that disability, which, which now the state deems as child support. So okay. he would pop in occasionally and try to get that money. And he'd go so far as like try to file a change of address or a change of bank with social security to get that money. Yeah. For so son, really the money that your son was getting. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. And, yes. And so my son has never had any contact with him. And okay. yeah. So that's now. I, yeah. So, um, and I never had said anything bad about him to my son at all because, you know, I, you know, first of all, I don't want him to think that, you know, to blame me or, you know, to grow up and think, wow, mom, you were horrible because you said all these horrible things that weren't true. I didn't want to be in that situation. Like, I didn't want that drama. And then also, you know, who knew maybe he was going to turn it around. Maybe his, you know, my ex was going to, uh, get the help he needed and um you know maybe the grandparents would like step up or something but you know of course none of that happened but you know yeah I would have loved I would have loved to have like had a co-parent but that just did never happened so you you know when you have an ex-husband or wife you and you have kids you don't really get rid of them completely I mean we had, we had a, you know, I, I'm in a relationship where we both have an ex-spouse and when Dane's youngest turned 18, we, I'm like, can we please go out and drink? Because (laughs) 
I wanted to sing like Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead and stuff and be totally inappropriate. And actually, you know, I want the kids to have a good relationship with their mom or dad, respectively. I don't want them to not have that. I, I am just relieved that I don't have to deal with the person that has created some amount of strife in my life. And you never even got any of the good stuff. You got like only the worst it could be. And yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm thankful for the things that they did well. I'm thankful that they were there in the way that they were. We do not have to parent the same way to both be good parents. Like even when you come at it from that, it was still a really, really, really difficult situation. And you didn't get any of that. And he still bugged you. And he tried to take your son's disability. That's disgusting. That's so despicable. I mean, like... Right. Like who does I, that? I, right. Who does that? Um, right. I have and an autistic know. son. So please like try to take his money. That's awesome. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I think the last time, cause we went to court a lot over the years and yeah. most of it was for criminal harassment because of what he was doing. The last time I went to court, uh, it was probably about 10 years ago now. I just remember being so angry. Like, I didn't know how, like, I guess I had healed enough. I didn't know how much anger I had (laughs) because my ex-husband knew how to work the system. He knew how to get people to feel sorry for him. And so he started to do that to get out of the charges. And I remember screaming at the prosecutor at the top of my lungs in the middle of the courthouse about how he does this all the time and he needed consequences because I need to be able to live my life and take care of my family. And I just, you know, I kind of exploded to where I think that I scared everybody. (laughs) I certainly scared my ex-husband. And after that, he left us alone for a good long time. So, yeah. And that was... Um, you had asked when my son had was diagnosed with autism. That yeah. wasn't until he was about eight years old. I always knew, and my my now current husband, we always knew that something was wrong, like something was different. And yet, nobody, not any doctor, they, I guess they saw me as a first time mom, or like boys will be boys. He's fine go take a parenting class, you know, things like that. And I started when he was very, very young asking like, okay, this, I know this isn't normal. So what do we do? And they're like, no, no, no. You're just a a mom. (laughs) Don't you just love that? Man, that makes uh, me mad. And you know, I don't think looking back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? And I don't, think that at the time I felt that way. I felt like because I'd been like shushed a lot as a kid, like I took that into my like adulthood and my parenthood and and deferred, like thought, okay, I should be shushed. And it wasn't until my husband who was a therapist, like was like, yes, you're not crazy. This is a thing. And he needs to be evaluated that... I started to speak up more and more and it, but unfortunately it took my husband coming into the pediatrician's office with me and he basically said, I'm not leaving without a referral to a specialist. And so that's exactly what we got. 
And so tell me was, when when did you meet him? Let's get some some happiness because I know um, I know there's oh, yeah. also other stuff coming down the pike. So yes. tell me about your husband. So I met my husband. I actually first met him on a Yahoo group when my son was like two years old. We were like in the same, I can't remember what group it is. We were in the same group and he like, I guess he was trying to hit on me. (laughs) And and I kind of got that and he asked, and he even asked me out, but I was like, no, 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 kind of that's, that's cute. But no, um, and then he kind of kept doing that for a while. He's very persistent, but it wasn't until, I, and I don't think, I wasn't really ready to date um, at all, I think, at that time. And it, it took about another two years before I was like, okay, I've got this. I'm going to start dating. You know, it's time. But I had a lot of criteria. I was super picky. I was like, I'll let people take me out. But they're not going to get a second date unless they hit these check, uh, you know, these boxes. <laughs> like they've got to be respectful. They've got to like own a plant. They've got to be kind. They've got to have a job. They've got to do this. They've got to do that. They've got to have ambition. You know, they got to treat everybody nicely. They got to talk good about their exes if they have them. So you can imagine I was dating quite a bit. Yeah, you must have been just like really the life of the party. <laughs> it was, but it, I, yeah, it was fun. It was just my coworkers, because at that time I was working as a restaurant. I was like managing and hostessing and waiting tables. And my coworkers loved the stories because they were always hilarious. <laughs> because, well, dating you know, is hilarious. No matter yes, what. dating is absolutely. I had a great time doing it just simply because it was so funny. <laughs> but um, so I just and then after a while, I was like, okay, I'm getting tired of this. Um, <laughs> nobody's hitting the boxes. Let me try something different. And so I reached out to my husband and be like, okay, you want to go on that date now? <laughs> Two years later, I'll say yes. Um, and he was like, okay. So actually, and we didn't actually end up going anywhere because I ended up not having a babysitter. Yeah. So he came over and he, you know, before he came over, he called and asked, is there anything I can bring you? And I thought, wow, that was nice. And then he came over and after that, he was the only guy I dated. <laughs> um, I, you know, and it's funny because I made him wait two years before saying yes. And he, you know, he would reach out to me every now and again over the course of that two years. And, you know, I finally, I finally said yes. And I think it was right around Valentine's Day where I was like, yes, okay. And then... You know, um, I made him, you know, wait six months to get intimate too. I put him through that. Wow. <laughs> I I, maybe it wasn't six months. Maybe it was, it, maybe it felt like six months. <laughs> it was it's a, okay. There's no it wrong It was answer. a long time. Was it? Yeah. See, it was, I, yeah. Dane and oh, I yeah. met and uh, we slept together that night and uh, like the first day, which I had never done before with anyone I'd ever met. And he's like, you're a real hussy. And I'm like, right back at you, buddy. I'm like, right? you were in the mix too, as I remember a couple yeah. times. <laughs> it isn't, there is no right or wrong way. I mean. 
No, you know? but I, you know, I guess I was kind of testing him a little bit to see, well, you know, how long is he going to wait? <laughs> anyway. Did they realize did. that he you're just missing waited. out also? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there you go, my cuties. <laughs> so you met, and I know he's the one that went to the doctor with you and made sure that you guys got a specialist and a diagnosis, but you, what, he's a therapist, you said? Yeah. Well, he was a, re- a therapist. He's retired now. Um, but at the time he was a therapist and, um, yeah, he was, that's one of the reasons <laughs> that I gave him a day. Cause I'm like, he has a job, you know, he's, he was going to school at the time to get his doctorate. So, you know, yeah, he was just, and he was super, like, my son loved him, I, you know, just instantly. I think my son fell in love with my husband before I did. <laughs> and he says, you know, he thinks he's lucky because, you know, he got to pick his own dad, essentially. Which, Aww. yeah, it's so sweet. And he is just such, they're so much alike, I don't know. Our joke is, we don't know how, but my husband somehow fathered him. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they're just two peas in the pod. I get that. I mean, I think we kind of adopt family wherever we need it or want it or can. So that's so excellent. What a great perspective on that, that he, that he uh, chose his dad. That's fantastic. So that was good. Life was good. Oh yeah. So, but well, life was good and you got the diagnosis for your son. And as a mom with an autistic adult son, also we have that in common. Um, that doesn't mean that it's easy, but it is helpful. And I think, do you think we try to put things in a box? For me, I just, I didn't care what the diagnosis was. And I said that at the specialist, I don't care what he's diagnosed with. I know that there's something going on. I I don't give a shit what it is. I want to know because it, it allows me to help him the best way possible. Oh, when I got the diagnosis or when we got the diagnosis, I remember being so happy. Like it was a happy day for me because I'm like, finally, now we can do something about this. Now we can get the right help. Now, you know, everything opens up. And my husband was like, yeah, now he can get connected. You know, he's looking at it at a therapeutic, you know, point point of view. Like now these services are going to become available and he really can, you know, get help. We can get help. And the reaction from my family was not quite the same. (laughs) And they didn't oh. understand why I was so happy. But I'm like, what do you mean we've been going, having these problems for so long? Like the meltdowns and the, you know, behavioral problems and the social problems just for so long. And we were so tired that like, how can, I was like, how can you not be happy for us? Now we can do something about it. Like, um, but yeah, I just, I just remember being oh. ecstatic. and. I, <laughs> you know, telling my son, like, um, all these famous autistic people and yeah. there's something you can do now and those kinds of things. So yeah, God, that was, it was a happy day. I still remember it just like, woohoo. And I read all the things. So <laughs> yeah, well then there's that. And then yeah. I felt, I mean, I felt like, okay, it wasn't just, it wasn't faceless anymore. It wasn't me going crazy. It wasn't me not knowing what to best do. Now with a, with a diagnosis, then I felt like empowered to be able to do 
the best possible for him in that situation. And that's why I didn't care what, what it was, but please help me figure it out so that I can be the best parent to him as possible. And you guys found out at eight, I found out at five. And uh, usually it is school age, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. <laughs> it No, absolutely not. It wasn't easy. And there was a huge learning curve for us. And as soon as we thought we had it figured out, of course, something changes. <laughs> and you got to start all over again and, you know, try a new approach or, you know, try something different. And so it is, it's an ongoing process. It's definitely a journey. But I can't imagine like not knowing at this oh. point, like that, I can't imagine what happened to kids before. Like, yeah. what did they go? Did they end up in an institution? Like, I feel so, like, I want to go back in time and save them all. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, well, because remember the days before it had a name, it was just this ugly face that you couldn't you didn't know what to do. You felt helpless. And even knowing that your child has autism doesn't mean that you have all the answers. Like you said, things change, but you, you can tap into resources. You've got disability. Um, yeah, well, it was through my ex-husband. So it wasn't like disability for my son. It was the oh, children's oh, benefit. And it, that was yeah. in lieu of child support, but that was always, so when I knew my son could get disability, like that took the pressure off. So if my ex-husband wanted to do something wonky with that, those benefits, or he got kicked off social security for whatever reason, like, so there was a plan B. And yeah. so that added another layer of like emotional security for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just know it takes a really hard situation and, and gives you some answers is what I felt like. I could look things oh, up yeah. differently and more easily. So Okay, so that happened and that was good. It, tough, but good. And so keep going. Keep going with the story because I know it gets better. <laughs> you know, you don't think it's been enough now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, you had like, a sociopathic, narcissistic, abusive ex husband that was stalking you for like nearly 20 years. Um, have a child by yourself, never get a break, meet a great guy. That part's good. That's, That's yeah, oh yeah, that right? is like okay. awesome. Like my son, <laughs> my son will say also that like he rescued us, even though as a woman, I'm like, yeah, okay, no, I rescued us. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. did that. I made, I did the emotional work to choose a healthy relationships. <laughs> but of course, being autistic, my son doesn't understand any no. of that. <laughs> There's no credit with autism. Zero no, credit. Not at all. As a matter of fact, moms are the worst people in the entire world. Pretty much. Pretty but that's much. only because we're the safest. That's true. Actually, more so in my experience, more so with a child with autism than than others. It's definitely a bigger pendulum. It swings a little bit more both ways. Yeah. So yeah. So, so I know like there yeah. I just I just have the inside scoop. So I know it gets better. So you guys are yeah. things are going pretty well. Things with your right. husbands are going well, at least even though they're difficult with autism. Yeah, we're getting yeah. by. We're living yeah. a comfortable life. You know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, you know, work if I want to, you know, do some babysitting. Um, you know, my 
neighbors are all like understanding of the autism, which was fabulous. And like giving my son little like odd jobs to do to make some cash and stuff like that, which was wonderful. Um, and then one day I get a phone call from my husband saying, mm, and I don't even know if it was from my husband. I think it might've been from a secretary. Okay. It's like, there's something wrong. We think he had a heart attack or something. And I'm like, oh my God, what? So I call my husband. I mean, my first reaction, it was a very vague call. Um, you know, so my husband, I call my husband and he's like, you know, I'm fine. I just, I just kind of lost consciousness at work. <laughs> just like, um, and my husband's like this. He downplays stuff. Like he just, not a big deal. I'm okay. Don't need to go to the doctor kind of thing. Um, and so I think, I think he did go to the doctor. I don't think like they, like his heart was fine. So he did, he hadn't had a heart attack. Um, they, they weren't sure what caused him to lose consciousness. And, you know, so he kept going back to the doctor and meanwhile, he was like complaining about his, the side of his head falling asleep. And I was like, dude, that's not right. <laughs> you know? You had to tell when you go to the doctor, tell him that. And he did. So they did an MRI of his head and everybody looks at it and they're like, no, it's fine. We're going to send you to this orthopedic surgeon for, I guess, you know, to look at his back or something. I can't remember exactly why he sent him. Sent him to the orthopedic sur surgeon with his MRI, like pictures and his x-rays. And um, the orthopedic surgeon takes a look at his x-ray and says, you need to see a neurologist. I'm not the doctor for you. And so it's like, what? <laughs> you know, we're looking at bones. What, what, what's up with the brain? And he shows my husband on the, uh, I guess the scan, that part of his brain is protruding into his spinal column oh yeah so we're like okay this is weird so what's that it's it's, it's a key, I think a, a, well it's called a Chiari malformation I can't remember if like we had a name for it at the time but so they get us an emergency appointment with the neurologist and that's when I started to worry because doctors usually don't take a lot uh, take it don't do anything quickly Right. Like, you wait for the uh, people to call you, make an appointment. Everything happened in less than 24 hours, which kind of freaked us out. Yep. And we go up er, and see the neurologist, or my husband, he goes by himself, sees the neurologist. The neurologist, I guess, looks at his MRI and says, yep, you have a Chiari malformation. We're going to set you up with a surgeon and take care of this because there's a risk of the uh, spinal cord puncturing the brain or something. Like it, it, it's something that causes people to unexpectedly drop dead. Oh, that's yeah. all? And, yeah, and usually like people... It's usually, it's a, so about 0.1% of the population has this. It's a congenital defect. And it's basically your skull is too small to hold your brain. So your brain gets pushed down into your spinal canal and, and think of it like a pumpkin on a skewer, essentially. Wow. So, yeah. So after time, 
you just pierce the brain with your spine and ta-da, you're dead. Um, <laughs> so. Holy cow. Okay. Yes. So everything happens really fast. And within, I think it was weeks, my husband was having um, part of his skull removed, dead brain tissue removed, and part of his cervical spine removed. So and, <laughs> I know I'm going to ask a dumb question, but what do they replace it with? Or how do you, so, how do they put it back together? That seems awful. So, so they take the pericardium, which is the covering around heart. So it's a donor tissue and they use that to make a nice little hammock for the back of the brain. <laughs> and okay. then they don't, they don't cover up the cervical spine. So basically they're creating spina bifida. Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if it's like, I, I don't know what there's like a technical term, but that's kind of how it is, except for it's not exposed like through the skin, but that cervical spine is open. So he can never have injections in his neck ever, like never. Um, and nobody can tell you because there's not enough data on the prognosis, even after the surgery. There is, there's more now because this was about 10 years ago. And so there's more now that says the, the prognosis, you know, half the patients live with chronic pain for the rest of their lives and half the patients are fine oh. and just go on to live normal lives. Okay. And other people who live with, you know, pain, I think a portion of those need further surgery because the brain starts to herniate again or something. I don't, you know. Something like that. Don't quote <laughs> quote me on that. But it's like, so there are complications, and you know, this is um, something that is only diagnosed by MRI, which is why most people miss it. The symptoms are very vague. They're often like minor headaches, the tingling. Um, sometimes, if you put your head in a certain position, you can pass out. So it can look like a seizure instead of like. Because what makes you pass out is like the disruption of the cervical spinal fluid, I think. And, but it looks like a, a seizure or, you know, some sort of like fainting thing. You know, it, it can be mistaken for a ton of other things. So it's very vague. And, you know, they have pain, um, just like vague pain, aches. And so often people with these complaints are like, whoop, there goes my cat. It's all in, it's, yeah. It's all in their head. That's the thing that, you know, because they don't, they don't wow. find anything. So my well, husband Well, that is was, hard when you're going in with all of these issues and they can't like, find anything. So it's, he And was this really is something, yeah, he was very lucky. And this lucky. is something that most doctors will never see in their lifetime, like ever. Right. Out of, out of thousands of patients. So I can't go to the doctor now without the first question being, how's your husband? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's good that they remember and they know and they ask. But yeah, but you don't want to hear like that to from the gynecologist. <laughs> I was going to say mammogram. He's like, all right, I love that we're on the same page. Right. <laughs> um, so, holy cow, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, he was working up until then. Yes, he was. And he, you, you can't really work <laughs> during that time in the recovery. Um, yeah, so he was working up until then, and he had to stop. He had to uh, – he couldn't renew his license because – and he had – 
cognitive issues as a result of the surgery. So, you know, problems with like memory and, and there's some things he just knows, like he just knows it, but he can't specifically like give you any detail about it. Like if it's a memory, there's a lot of stuff like, and I, I, this is funny and I think he jokes about it, but he like doesn't remember because he's been married twice before. He doesn't really remember his other marriages. (laughs) I mean, that's like, yeah. God, how do I sign up for just that part? <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, it's and, scary though and crazy and confusing, I imagine. It, it is, it is. Although he copes really, really, really well. And, you know, but there was an, I mean, it was a huge adjustment. It was a huge adjustment for all of us. I mean, we all had to like, and it's a lot to ask of a child of autism to now deal with your parent kind of having this personality shift not a huge shift but like so my husband used to be incredibly patient oh my gosh you have the patient because I'm not the patient one I'm the impatient one and all of a sudden that had to change and that was a that was a huge ask for my son um to like deal with you know autism kids don't like change very much it's kind of their thing to like things to be predictable and here we are just our whole life was like upheaved and and things changed dramatically and then you know and then there's a financial thing where okay we lost an entire income (laughs) so um that just made things I mean that was a hard hard adjustment I think just well, yeah, and financially, I mean, I know that that was a, I, that's a big part of it because it wasn't it wasn't a, a planned or expected retirement. No, and we hadn't we hadn't saved really for anything catastrophic. I mean, we were like I guess most Americans, we really weren't thinking about that. I mean, we were young. My husband wasn't even fifty yet. I was in my thirties. You know, we just. And we were dealing with autism. So, you know, that kind of stuff was just like, we'll just wait for that, wait for later to deal with that. (laughs) Right. Now, in the meantime, stuff isn't going well with your son. Do you think um, that part of it had to do with the fact that this all happened? Because you were getting called into, well, he was sick. I know your son was sick and you were getting called into the school a lot. Yeah. Or was that completely so, separate? Well, that was a little bit later. So okay, you know, okay. we got through the worst of my husband's recovery, I think. And, you know, this is still an adjustment adjustment period for everybody. It just feels like, I guess, a lot of times, it, I certainly for me, like I constantly have to pivot. So, you know, I'm not really used to things staying the same anymore. Um and I, and I can't imagine what that's like for my son. So, but you know, everybody, everything gets into kind of a groove. I am able to like, uh, this is when I started podcasting shortly after, um, Maybe not short, but maybe at like five years later, I was, you know, podcasting, I was scrapbooking, I was teaching scrapbook page design for other people, like for, you know, as a guest teacher, making some money. Um, you know, my son was doing okay. <coughs> Excuse me. And then uh, we start a new school year. And my son ends up with the worst teacher. You know, we had just gotten to this place where everything was good. 
you know, he had bumps and whatever. He was pulled out of mainstream just because he was having problems. I think the pressure got to him because he was mainstreamed really like he, he was, once he got to like completely mainstream classes, like he couldn't handle the pressure and then started having outbursts. So they decided to put him in like the um, specifically special needs school because he could then have meltdowns without it affecting his peer relationships. And I, I was all for that because I was like, oh, I don't, you know, necessarily want everybody to see him go through this difficult time and they get teased for it. Right. So they're like, yeah, this is just temporary. And that was like at the end of one school year. Fast forward to the beginning of the next school year, he got the worst teacher ever. She was one of the... And I don't know that your audience may know, may be familiar with this, but you may. Um, there's a certain group of people, like a certain type of person, who thinks that autism is just a discipline problem. Oh. So you may have encountered them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why um, would you work with special needs kids if you feel that way? Right. Doesn't make any sense. And, Go teach and somewhere else. Special needs teenagers. On top of it. I mean, good grief. That's Yeah. And these are okay. all like autism kids. And from there, it just, it was like a combination of this teacher, a social worker who thought that instead of having autism, because she knew what autism was, she thought my son was emotionally disturbed because autism people don't have behavioral issues, right? <laughs> um, they don't melt down and they don't have any kind of aggression. No, that's emotional instability, according to her. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And then a vice principal who decided that I was crazy. I was just a dumb mom. And I was just, I didn't know anything. What did I know? And what could I do? Right? And uh, at this point in my life, <laughs> I've been through all this stuff. Don't you tell me what I can and cannot do. <laughs> Right. Especially not for my son or my husband. Don't you tell me that I'm wrong when I've spent my entire life like doing this stuff. And I'm the kind of person where when, and this is how I grew up. This is the one, th you know, one thing I loved about my father, not be one thing, but one thing is my father worked for the Library of Congress. And so when somebody had some sort of like problem, my father would bring home a stack of books and we'd read about the problem. Hmm. When we got goldfish, I got goldfish books. We got birds, I got bird books. We had cats, we had cat books. And we would read. <laughs> and we would learn everything we needed to learn and solve whatever problems we needed to solve by reading the books. And so I carried that with me into adulthood. So I guess I was like used to this. Okay, you have autism, let's read. Let's talk right. about it. Let's, you know, work through it and let's figure it out. Same thing with my husband's Chiari. I felt like I had an honorary, like, uh, neurology degree. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and then I spent so much time talking to doctors and nurses and, you know, asking all the questions. Anyway, they loved me. They're probably. Uh, <laughs> I can just imagine. <clears throat> so... When I get into the situation where these people who don't know me and, you know, I'd work with the other school, they were awesome and they knew me. And so I get to these other people who think I'm just another 
I guess dumb mom. I don't know what. I mean, that's all I can think is that they just thought that they were going to tell me what to do and I was just going to accept it. And I didn't. And so I spent uh, a year or two advocating for my son and, and really speaking up and saying no. <laughs> saying y'all are nuts. Like my husband was like, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. And I rocked the boat. I rocked the boat a lot. Um, so it ended up that, uh, and this went on for like the course of an entire school year. So we made an entire school year with that teacher almost. I requested my son be homebound because I knew I had to get him out of that situation. Because, and he wasn't having behavior problems at home. And, you know, you think this stuff starts at home and carries over into school. And, and that's how it had always been before. This time it started at school and carried over into the home. So I knew that something was going on in the school. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like, and then how do you tell your autistic kid, like, yes, these people failed you, but now I'm going to put you, you know, have you trust these other people? So, yeah, I created a whole cluster F. <laughs> yeah, I did. And in the meantime, you're working and you're, you learn the podcast. So yeah, you I, get to I, tie it back in. Yeah, yeah. So I think if I hadn't learned how to podcast, I would probably would have not have spoken up and been so like, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> I'm writing in a strongly worded letter. And I'm going to speak over everybody because by then I'd learned how to project. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so once I got, you know, and, you know, kind of between podcasts, but my first iteration of podcasting life and my second iteration of podcasting life, which is now, all this stuff happened with my son. And I, you know, Thank God for podcasting is all I have to say. So we got everything stabilized and I was like, oh my gosh, I hadn't worked for a while. I needed something to do. I, I was actually, you know, cause you're waiting for the other shoe to drop for a while. And then you're like, it's not going to drop. Mm. And now I need to do something. Like, what am I going to do? I can't like, you know, because I'm just, I realize I'm like playing Candy Crush <laughs> for a large portion of, you know, time. And mm, I could probably do something else, you know, because I'm not, because I wasn't taking care of my son. Like, I wasn't micromanaging everything. I wasn't like writing emails. I wasn't, you know, dedicating myself full time to my son. Right. And I was like, oh, it's time to do something. And also money. Money's, <laughs> you know, I was tired of like constantly being broke because we've gone through all this other stuff and burned out our savings essentially. And, you know, hmm, it's really time to get a job. And, uh, you know, unlike my husband, I don't have um, a master's degree <laughs> in anything. Right. So I was like, what could I do? So I took the stuff, you know, the scrapbooking, graphic design, went and, you know, freelance for that. But, you know, I kept being called to those podcasting things. Like, and I didn't realize, like, I didn't think anybody would pay me to do anything podcasting related except for cover art. Like that I could see people pay me for. But like the other stuff I didn't. And then 
but you know, I uh, saw somebody post an ad looking for a podcast consultant. And I'm like, you can get paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been giving this away. Wait a second. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, you know, the people I did the graphic design for, I'm like, oh, yeah, you do this, this, and this, and this, and go start your podcast. And uh, yes, I started consulting for this Australian company um, about making their podcast. And it was, I was like, I just couldn't believe, I just couldn't get over the fact that they were paying me to do this, right? Because I thought it was fun. Right. <laughs> and I didn't think like, you know, it had been a couple of years since I had like really been into podcasting. And I was like, it was not like this. Like, I mean, I guess you could pay people to do stuff back then, but like, there wasn't that, that much demand, was there? And so um, when it came for them to hire an editor, I like actually looked at what the editor did. I looked at the files and I'm like, wait, the, these people aren't any better than I am. <laughs> right. I wonder if people would pay me to edit their podcast. Like, and I knew how much time that took. Yeah. And I was like, that is something that people definitely don't want to do. So I wonder, I wonder if somebody will pay me for that. And so I found my first editing client and he's still with me today. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that was like a year, almost two years ago. Oh, wow, yeah. That's awesome. Him. I love him to death. He is a fabulous client. And we actually like, so the Launcher Podcast course is actually kind of a collaboration with him. Um, he helped me do the videos for it and he hosts it on his site so you know it's he's just absolutely phenomenal um and his show's called mind flipping so shout out to rick if you're looking for some really like upbeat um kind of life-changing you know after you listen to this go listen to mind flipping because i know my story can be kind of depressing so that'll <laughs> well the thing is is flip. that you you persevered through it all well, yeah, I did. I did. absolutely did. I know. Listening back to it, I, you're listening to my, uh, hearing myself talk about it. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a bad a lifetime lot. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hallmark's probably not going to pick it up. I won't let you down no, easy on that one. Definitely a lifetime, you know, maybe after nine. <laughs> but getting through all that, you took something that you had done on the side and then was and then you were like, wow, I can actually get paid for this. And then, wow, I could turn around and help other people struggle less. And you right. know a little bit about, wouldn't it be nice to struggle less? Right, because I knew how much time and energy I put into learning how to podcast, learning how to edit my podcast, learning how to do all the podcast things. And I ended up with my first podcast. I was new and noteworthy. I had thousands of downloads per episode. I had a huge audience. I influenced an entire like market. Like if I said, oh, I like glycine bags, all of a sudden all the designers came out with glycine bags. Like I had influence. I didn't know what to do with it. Like I had no yeah. clue. I had Canva coming to me asking me repeatedly, can we sponsor, you know, can we sponsor you? Can we sponsor you? But I'm like, hold up, girlfriend. I don't have any time to deal with this. Oh my <laughs> like, God. 
I can't like do the math and run the numbers. And I, cause I was in that like hamster wheel of just getting the next episode out. And when we did take breaks during the summer, I think, um, like when the kids were out of school, you know, I was like, okay, you know, let's let all the moms have a break. But I was so exhausted that like, I didn't want to do anything. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, if I can save somebody from like being on that hamster wheel, then I'm happy. And if they pay me for it, I'm happier, but you know, not necessary. And I think, you know, and my, my clients will tell you that I forget to bill them. <laughs> well, you do need to pay your bill. So there's nothing wrong yes. for getting paid for what you do. Right, and do well right, and help right. But you but have a lot of resources on your site too. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I get so excited about helping people that I forget about the money part and you know, that I do get reminded when I want to like buy groceries and things. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's really, I love the relationship. I love the connection. I, I, I'm always humbled when somebody tells me that I've helped them and like made a difference. And, and it really, for me, is a, is a joy to be able to do something that I love, do something that impacts other people in a positive way and get paid for it at the same time. Support myself, support my family, take the financial burden off my husband. That's absolutely wonderful because he's stressed, you know, he's a uh, high stressed and I'm more like easygoing. So... <laughs> And he he is my greatest support in this. I would not be able to do it without him because now he's like, you know, whatever you need to do, I'll do it. And, you know, from bringing me coffee to, you know, taking care of my son, you know, picking him up from school, things like that. And it's just, you know, the fact that this works for us is incredible. Like, you know, it just that I was able, I'm so like touched by this and by the impact I've been able to have and the response that people have given me. Oh, it's going to make me misty. <laughs> well, I know people are thankful and I am thankful that you came on and shared your story because holy cow, and that you found your passion and a purpose and a way to pay that, pay that forward from where you came from. So thank you for being here today. Oh, well, thank you for listening to me ramble for so long. Oh my God. <laughs> See, I told you. I love it. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.